Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. Today, we are talking all things money, and I have with me, my guest for today is Kim Curtis, who is the CEO of Wealth Legacy Institute. She's a best-selling author of Money Secrets, The Keys to Smart Investing, as well as her most recent book, Retirement Secrets, Living a Free and Happy... Sorry, what was it? A Free Happy... <laughs> Yeah. Keys to retiring happy, healthy, and free. Thank you. Happy, healthy, and free. I wrote it down, but I can't read my own writing. (laughs) (laughs) And this is, I definitely want to dig into this one because as you know, my audience is all women approaching retirement, thinking about retirement. And so I'm really excited to jump into this conversation with you. So, but first I'd like to start with like, how did you become so fascinated with money and why is that now your career? Why do you focus on that? Yeah. It's an interesting beginning because my parents got divorced when I was a teenage girl. I was 14. And so as a result of that, I had government-assisted lunches. I had to pass Mm -hmm. a little red ticket to the cashier that every time I did that every day was shame, humiliation. Who am I? I'm poor. We can't afford lunch. And so my story was one of that people that had money was not, not me. It was for other people. Right. And so that's how I started. I went, but yet my mother, because she didn't have an education and she was married for 20 years and then recently divorced with three teenage daughters, really implored the three of us girls to go to college and get an education because no one can take it away from you. Mm, Smart. So I went to college and defaulted on my school loans. So here I am today in the money business and here I defaulted on my school loans. I uh, had bad credit. And because I went to law school and had enormous amount of, because I followed my mom as it relates to get your education. And then something happened to me. It's actually quite a unique story, Jennifer. I had someone anonymously put money down on my school loan. And when I got the bill, I saw that it was less, not more. And so I think that act of kindness allowed me to pause and recognize that maybe I should look at my own self. If someone thinks more of me than I think of myself, what am I doing about me? And I think that was the start of me better managing money or asking myself the questions of, I can get out of this school loan debt. I'm going to be responsible for my choices. And so (laughs) that was the start. And remember, I said I had a legal background. So my... I was the youngest regional vice president in the country in the area of alternative dispute resolution. Mm. And so negotiation, mediation, arbitration. And I moved to Salt Lake City to open up a Salt Lake City office and became, instead of handling the negotiations or mediations, I became a spokesperson on alternative dispute resolution, arbitration, and mediation. And by 30, I looked around and said, I'm no longer doing what I love. I really want to be in the heart of the matter. Mm. And so I actually had a, a friend put me through a series of tests to find out what am I good at? And money came up. Financial planning came up. And so at 30, I switched my legal background to finance, and I've been doing it ever since. Isn't that crazy? 
Wow. What a journey. I I love the beginning (laughs) of your story. Like I always start with people's stories because there's always a real, like a really good nugget of what the motivation is, why people do what they want to do or what they're doing. And I know when I was starting my own reinvention, one of the things that I did, and anybody who's listening to this podcast has probably heard me say this before, is I, you know, when I wanted to get out of the corporate life that I was in, I went and had coffee with as many different people as I could from as many different walks of life to figure out how they did what they did, how they got to where they got to, and what do they love about it, right? And it's just like people's stories are endlessly fascinating to me. Yeah. And it's, it's all comes together, like in the perfect storm. What do you do now? Like, what is your focus now um, as far as the wealth, money? Yeah. Wealth, money, and life. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I love it. I started out in the brokerage world at 30 in financial planning. And I want to say I was probably 16 years into it when actually it took me a little... uh, I remember during the uh, tech bubble that happened, and I remember reading like a client statement, like the back of a client statement that had all the disclosures. And at the time, it was eight pages, but it was four pages because two to a page of very tiny, tiny print. Right. And I remember just, you know, I'm going to read this. Who's that? Whoever reads this, I'm going to read it. And as I read it, like a tear came down my face because I realized, oh my gosh. I am not a fiduciary putting my client's interests first with my Lugo background. You know, I always thought I was doing the right thing. And as I read all those disclosures, it was so sad to me that I was in sales, that I was not Mm. on the same side of the table of the client, that I worked for the house, not the client, the house meaning the brokerage firm. Right. And so that's when it took me a little bit of time because I had kids, two little kids at the time. But my goal was to create a firm which is now Wealth Legacy Institute, which is 15 years since, that creating a firm that puts the clients top, like, you know, first, not last, you know, in in the other, they were at the bottom of the, you know, they never got anything. And so creating a firm that was filled with humanity, that had soul and heart and integrated the, the interrelationship between money and life. And that's really what Wealth Legacy Institute is all about. And I'm so so appreciative of the journey that we've had and the boutique nature of our firm. And Mm -hmm. so it's really, of course, we manage money, but managing that money with financial planning. But if you looked at a pyramid and at the bottom of the pyramid, people come to us because they want to have their money managed, but then they want to work towards achievement of goals. And if you can get those two, that they finally have a space to breathe for peace of mind. Rare is it that we get to peace of mind around money? Yeah, because one of the things, um, so there's a couple of things here. I think I was reading on your website or something that you wrote where, and this is what really intrigued me, where you wrote, there's no financial rate of return that can create an extraordinary life of passion and possibility. And I was like, bingo, like that's, oh yeah, the money is important, but that's not the whole story. And that's why I was so interested to talk to you today. Well, one of the reasons, because there's a few of them. You know, we started having this conversation kind of at the beginning of just before we got on air. And I was talking about some research that I had seen that says that women are more likely to be impoverished in retirement, 55, no, 80% more likely to be impoverished in retirement than men. And a lot of what I talk about is women reinventing themselves and, you know, figuring out what their kick-ass next chapter is. And every single solitary time we talk about passion and purpose. And the next thing that comes after that is, but, oh, how do I do this financially? Which is an important question. Like we need money for life. Like it makes things a whole lot easier. So can we talk a little bit about why is it that women are kind of behind the eight ball when it comes to 
investments or retirement or any of that type of stuff from your perspective? Well, and we, we kind of hit on this a little bit beforehand is that it starts at your very first job. And when you say yes to that first job, do you negotiate that salary? Women generally do not negotiate that first paycheck. And that first paycheck is what gets you to the next and next. And so if you already start, say, 5,000 behind your brethren, male counterpart who negotiated, imagine the compounding effect of that over a lifetime. So that's the first, is feeling confident enough. You're just I remember my first job. I was just so thankful to get a job. Yeah, me too. You know, yeah. Negotiate. Oh my gosh, I would never negotiate. You know, <laughs> so that's a mindset game that we also need to change: is yeah. that we're worthy and that we deserve yeah. to have to negotiate those options around it. And it may not be money; it may be time, it may be vacation, it may be right. other types of amenities or benefits that help you and your family if you're at that point. The second piece around that, and you hit on this, is children. Many women step off. Uh, yeah. Once they have their children. Yeah. And then the, the third is midlife divorce. And women may have children and they tend to take the house. Right. To keep the family intact instead of the assets. And so right. they're house rich and cash poor. Right. And then lastly, those are, we just hit four yeah. big ones right there. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. And then lastly, as we age and our longevity tends to be, can be longer than men, is that the assets oftentimes can get depleted at the care of your spouse. You're the caretaker mm -hmm. of the spouse. The assets get depleted. So by the time you need the care, there's no assets. You may have even lost the house. Right. And there's no one there to take care of you unless you have lovely children that are kind and have done well for themselves and are willing to take care of you. So those are kind of the markers. Yeah. And it's so deeply ingrained in our culture that like from the time we are born, like we as women are taught to see ourselves as valuable because of the way we look and what we do for other people and not so much. And if this is absolutely changing now, but definitely in the generation like that you and I are in, right? It was less about, you know, what you were capable of, right? Like how smart you were. And so then, you, like you said, that just leads to all of this, you know, not negotiating, not asking maybe for what they're worth getting paid less. Like I heard somewhere they have like the, the mommy tax and the daddy premium mm. so that when women start having children, their, their income stagnates. And because men have children, they're more likely to earn more. Right. And so yes. this disparity just keeps going. Like you said, to then you had in divorce, death, illness, mm -hmm. right. It's a really big compounded effect. So like, how do you what is it that you say to women? Like if you're a woman who is like approaching her fifties and you're really afraid of kind of your financial future, like, am I going to be able to do the things that I want to do? Can I, you know, start that business, do that new career, go volunteer, like whatever it is. Like, how do you counsel women when they come to you with that? You know, I'm really mm -hmm. afraid I won't be able to do this from a financial standpoint. Yeah. I think it's a bigger start than that, you know, because money's always, as you said, money is always that first so that holds us back on really following our passion and our purpose mm -hmm. and permission to follow passion and purpose. But it really starts with what's your mindset around that? Yeah. Uh, and mindset, you know, my story of shame back, you know, getting the government assisted lunches. So what is your story and how do you take that story to who you are today? And really unpack mm -hmm. that because when you unpack it, then have the ability to know, okay, here I am. Here are the decisions that I'm making. Here are the choices that I didn't think I had but I'm responsible for the outcome. 
So if you think of events in our lives that happen, you know, all these events come and go, but we are responsible for how, how we respond mm. and how we respond, which is choice, is those outcomes. So when a woman that is middle-aged and comes in and says, one, I've never ha- felt like I could follow my passion and purpose. Two, I'm absolutely fearful that I'll become a bag lady and have no money. You know, so it's really, you got to unpack it way back from childhood to bring her to today and then discover what that passion and purpose is for her. Yeah. And that's what you do probably really, really well. And that ignites solutions that, you know, when you put that intention in there, then things unfold around money. Now, that sounds really light, and I don't mean it to, because there's so many other things behind that that allow for that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because a while back, like a long time ago, I started, you know, wanting to like dig into my finances and my mindset around money. And I did this uh, little quiz that was like, what is your relationship with money? And mine basically came out as my relationship with money was like a booty call. As in, I used it when I needed it. And then I paid no attention to it until I needed it again. And that was it. And that was like a huge eye opener for me. And I'm like, wow, like if, if that's the relationship that I have with money, how do I expect money to like work with me? And I had to start this whole process of get and, and like I earned good money. Like I had a fantastic career. I was earning really good money. And I still had this part of me that didn't believe I could properly manage money, right? Like I could spend it, but then something happened in the background there. I don't know really what it was, but I happened to have money. And there was a lot to unpack around that. And yeah, a lot of of childhood stories on that one. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing. It's not about how much money you make. It's really about how much you save. Um, And it's hard to start saving when you can't pay rent or your mortgage. So it really, I hate to say this, it ultimately, ultimately, when you want to get to the tactical side of things is really around budgeting. And I don't necessarily like that word as much as I like a spending plan Mm -hmm. and getting your head out of the sand to go, what truly are my expenses? What is a spending plan for me to pursue the things that are most meaningful to me? The unfortunate side of that is that many women don't feel like they deserve it and they give it to their children before they give it to themselves. And so the first question really, really gets back to, are you worth it and why? Mm-hmm. And, and what is worthiness to you and how do you claim it? Right. Yeah. And that's so interesting because as women, we downplay everything, you know, like we have, you know, most of us are like pretty accomplished, you know what I mean? Either, mm-hmm. you know, through careers or families or life experiences or whatever it is. And every time you talk to a woman about her experience or whatever, she will downplay it. Well, I just did what I had to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so rather than saying, oh, wow, I'm a serious badass because I did this and this and this and I overcame that. Right. And that plays into your money story as well, too. Right. Right. And, and so if, if we go back a little bit and mm-hmm. that first job where we didn't negotiate. Yeah. But if at that first job, we actually put at least 10 percent into that retirement plan and ignored it and never touched it and had it on automatic pilot, then at 50 we actually would have something that's valuable to us. Right. Based on that retirement plan and the compounding effect of that. So it really starts back here at that first job. We may not even be married or attached to anybody, but we're trying to pay our bills. But if we start just, we we didn't make that. We take that 10 to 15% off the top. We live off of that lower dollar amount right out of the gate. It helps us navigate money by setting it and forgetting it. Right. So now when we're 50 and we're in a divorce, why do we take the house for our family instead of really being practical 
about what are the future retirement needs for you, not your kids so much as it is for you. So that whether you have to go back to work, even though you've been unemployed for 20 years. So all of that gets back to the same thing that we just talked about is undeserving. Am I worth it? I just got dumped. I look at myself in the mirror and I don't see who I used to be. I've lost all my passion because I've given it to others and I'm completely empty. So the money conversation, you know, I always say how you do money is how you do life. Mm -hmm. If you put your head in the sand around money, you're going to put your head in the sand around life. So for that 50 year old woman is to tits up, right? Face it. Yeah. And what's the story and claim it. And as we started to say, unpack it so that it's full on and you're no longer going to ignore it. And then it's really an education piece around that. Yeah. So let's say we have ignored money or we left it to our spouse to take care of. And we now find Mm -hmm. ourselves in the place where we, okay, maybe I don't have as much as I would like for retirement, or maybe I'm really afraid. Like, is 50 too late? Like, are you just like, okay, now I'm going to go back to work and work till I'm 85? Like, is there hope for somebody who might be in that situation? Gosh, yes. I mean, if you think of 50, I mean, we may have 30 plus years. I know, right? Longest chapter of our lives, by the way. (laughs) Absolutely. So, you know, uh, there's a sort of this, uh, a client of a woman, woman who uh, her husband didn't pay taxes for over 10 years, had an affair. And here she was with no money, no husband and the IRS. And she loved design. She loved setting up her home. And so she ended up getting a job in a furniture store Mm. and she ended up becoming extremely good at it. And then the furniture store sold to a bigger conglomerate. And then they fired her because she was older. She ended up knowing that that was her passion. She had a lot of contacts. She actually started her own design firm. Mm, I love it. And she's been doing that into her late seventies and is very successful and earns just enough to have everything that she wants and to feel completely confident about her future because Mm. she has a community of people her clients that she loves and enjoys. She's doing what she loves and she's good at it. And she continues to have an income stream when she was left with nothing. Wow. I love those stories so much because we do. And I, I was in, in that place where it's like, you know, I found myself divorced, unemployed, empty nested, and, you know, bedridden with a stress-related illness. And I remember thinking, and I had just turned 50 and I remember thinking, okay, this is it. My life is over. And we forget that like, you know, it took me a while to come around to it and be like, okay, it's not over. We're over, being overdramatic here. Mm-hmm. But it took me a while to realize that I'm like, wait a minute, I'm only 50. <laughs> I've got so much left that I want to do. I've got, you know, time on my side. I've got 30 years. I'm not going to like sit around for the next 30 years and just like wait for the end. <laughs> right. And that's when I was like, okay, you know, there's so much possibility. And I think that's the thing is seeing the possibility both from our passion and purpose standpoint, but also from our financial standpoint, that it's not too late. Like it's right. You can start at any point as long as you just start. Well, and not only that, if you are married, it's, and what often happens again, generalities, but women oftentimes do the household budget and they Mm -hmm. don't manage the investments and they have no idea what's really going on. So from the very beginning, have that activity joint, be engaged in the investments and -hmm. how the investments are managed. And the nature of our work, what often happens is right before retirement, the man has handled the money. He starts to feel, oh my gosh, I'm uncertain about what I've done. I don't know what I'm really doing, but I pretend I know because my wife doesn't know. So here I'm pretending I'm managing money and I don't know if I'm doing it well. And she's over here with head in the sand, not really knowing other than the household expenses, what the reality is 
together. So oftentimes when they come into our office, it's the first time that they're having a conversation about joint goals Mm. and that they're all of a sudden for the first time on the same page. Because remember, it was maybe money that brought them, you know, managing money that brought them into our firm. But the financial planning is what brings the spouse lights up. She lights up because, oh my gosh, it's all these things I've always wanted to talk about. But the conversation with the broker has only been about the money. Right. When I am totally engaged with life and purpose and values and values with my spouse, values with my family, legacy of the family and my grandchildren, the stories that I want to tell them. So the conversations get so much bigger because remember, we talked about that pyramid and we talked about Mm. peace of mind. If you have peace of mind, you have the space to breathe, to create impact, which is the pinnacle of the triangle. It's the top of the triangle. Imagine having collective goals with your spouse on impact. All of a sudden, you're having these larger conversations about legacy and your future as it relates to your children and grandchildren of what's most important. And the conversations are never really around money. Mm, I love that. Wow. I love that so much. I mean, it. yeah, you would not think about money as being you know, a topic of conversation that would bring people together. In fact, you probably hear the opposite. <laughs> More often than not, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I've seen you talk about your 50-30-20 rule. Like, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, again, like I, you know, I have this, I have clients who are starting over. Like, you know, maybe they're just coming out of a marriage or, you know, maybe they're trying to figure out, okay, how do I manage my finances going forward? And when I heard your 50-30-20 rule, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. I hadn't heard it put that way before. So can you kind of just walk us through what that might look like for somebody? Maybe sure. they do have to go back to work. It's an easy way to outline what categories certain expenses should be in because people want to know, well, how do I fit in? Like, what's normal? I mean, you know, depends whether you live in New York City or you live in Iowa so or Canada, <laughs> Toronto. So normal, so the 50-30-20 rule is, is 50% of your budget or your expenses should be fixed, like mortgage, uh, utilities, car payment, fuel. So anytime you look at buying a house, you want to make sure that, that all of those expenses that are tied to that are in that 50%. Right. The 30% are the discretion. Well, it's more the food and the, and the clothing and the expenses tied to discretion. Right. And then the 20 is really your savings. I mean, it's your future. It's putting money aside for longer term objectives. Right. So it's just a good way. And, and we actually have, and if anyone wants that, we could make sure that they get that because it actually outlines with each item, what is that range of, you know, 2% to 5% for this, mm. you know, that chari- if you're charitably inclined, here's what that average percentage is for those. And here's the category that it goes into. Here's how much for housing or spending or rent that you should be in within that 50%, there's a Mm. smaller percentage of that for that line item. Mm. So that may be something that's really valuable for your people to be able to access. We'd be happy to share that. Yeah. I would uh, love to be able to put a link to that in the show notes, because I think that would be very helpful because again, you know, like depending upon your situation, like I said, you could be going back to work for the first time in 20 years, (laughs) you know, after divorce and having those kinds of having that kind of knowledge as a place to start, I think is, is fantastic. Yeah. It really gives nice guidance and to feel confident about your line items in your spending plan. Well, and I think the thing that you, and you've hit on this a couple of times is this peace of mind, right? Like it's really hard to think about your passion and purpose when you're worried about money. 
right? Like, well, I mean, it's really hard to think about anything when you're worried about, when you're worried about money. But if you can get to yourself to a place where like, for example, you have the formula, you're like, okay, I got all the things plugged in. Okay. Now I don't have to worry about it so much versus when you don't have the formula, you're like constantly moving things around or whatever. And it becomes really, really difficult then for, to open up any mind space at all to think about, you know, bigger life choices. Right. You know, I'm just a firm believer because remember I had nothing. I just followed my calling and just said, yes, that's hard to do. Cause you know, I didn't have a lot of money. I had, I was in debt, but to listen and follow and then move forward. And here I am the CEO of a wealth management firm that employs seven people. I, I mean, and, and the clients who are at impact on that pyramid. So mm-hmm. how enriching is that, that allows you to be more motivated to do more things so that money all of a sudden is just over here on autopilot because you're doing all the things you love. And with intention, the rest falls into place. I know that sounds so weird, but when you create money on autopilot, whether you're 30 or 50, money is becomes your foundation mm-hmm. down here versus this frenetic piece up here bombarding yeah. you. So if you could bring it down by that spending plan, of the 50, 30, 20 rule as a starting point, right? build that foundation so that you no longer think about it and you're on solid ground. It allows you to work up that pyramid and focus on the things that matter to you. Because generally, if you do money right, it's never frenetic. You never think about right. it because it's down here working for you without having to pay attention to it. It yeah. sounds weird because you think of what's happening right now in the, in the capital markets in Ukraine and all these other things mm-hmm. and the supply chain issues and the mm-hmm. pandemic. You know, For people that manage money in a long-term way, those things are like gnats. They're irrelevant to the long-term right. management of money. It doesn't affect, did your long-term goals change? No. Then you don't change your money because of what's going on in the short term. You're not reacting to being proactive rather than reactive, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that, that there are statistics out there that say that women are better investors than men. And the reason is because men want to touch it and mess with it and make it interesting and conversational. Money should be boring. It should not be sexy. Investing <laughs> should that. not be sexy. You know, if you want sizzle, go to a cattleman's convention. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the beef? Yeah. You just hit on something that I was actually going to bring up because I actually read something about that, about women being better investors than men. So why don't more women get into investing for themselves? Like It seems like, and I know maybe this is my perspective, but it feels like this far-reaching thing, right? That, oh, and again, maybe it's a downplaying your own abilities, your own education or whatever it is, but it's like, I think women just kind of stay away from that. Is that true? Or maybe I, maybe that's my no, own No, no. I, I think that culturally, there are many messages around that early on. Mm-hmm. Some people think money is dirty. Some people think money is sinful. Some people have this warped sense of where money fits in. And, and you know, when, and if you, and if you recognize that money is actually a tool for goodness, mm-hmm. and all it is, is a tool. But the power we put around it and we give it so much when, in essence, it's really just a tool for you to be your best. Right. And And and, if you understand that, yeah. Yeah. And to facilitate the things that you want in your life. So unpacking the first thing that may be a roadblock, which is why you may have ignored it for a while, thinking that 
that it's over here or it's dirty or it's, you know, I mean, you think about, it, you just say, you know, the rich get rich because of what, like you, people put in their own words on these cultural memes mm-hmm. right. of what wealth is. And is that something that they want? Oh, no, I don't want, uh, no, no, rich. No, can't talk about money. You know, we talk about sex more than we talk about money. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is so true. We do not talk about money. Yeah. So I think for women that if they became engaged in the conversation, showed up with their spouse, if they are married, not married, show up and actually start to have the conversation, all of a sudden they will feel more empowered and then claim it. And once you claim it again, all of a sudden it's a foundation and it's not frenetic. There's something that you just, you said this earlier on, and I was just thinking about it just now as you were speaking, because I think one of the reasons that holds people back from having, or women, especially from having that financial conversation or even getting into investing is almost a sense of distrust, right? Like, well, I don't even know enough to ask the right questions. Like maybe I'm getting fleeced. Like maybe this person doesn't have my you know best interest in heart. Like, how do you get yourself comfortable enough to be able to at least initiate that conversation, whether it be with a financial advisor or like somebody like in your firm, which I mean, your firm sounds like amazing in that, in that way. But like, how do women get themselves comfortable enough to be able to have that conversation? Because I think that's the thing we're, you know, downplaying our smarts. Mm-hmm. around money. So true. So true. Right. Even and though, so, even though we're better at it generally, right. Even though we're yeah. better at it. Right. And so even initiating that conversation can feel like, feel really difficult. So how do you counsel women to do that? Like, get yeah, that Jennifer, place? that's a, such a great question on the distrust, the distrust uh, in the nature of, of my field. So unfortunately in financial advice, 90% of the financial advisory firms are in the business of sales. That's a brokerage firm. You know the names. The names are well-known. They're banks. They're well-known brokerage firm names where they have a a conflicted interest. And so they want to do their best work, of course. Otherwise, they would no longer still be in business. They're trying to do their best work. But the structure of how they were set up prevents them from giving you the best. It's kind of like when you go to a supermarket, the shelving, like all the products on eye level pay more to be at eye level. Well, that's what happens in financial service firms Hmm. and brokerage firms is mutual fund companies and product providers pay more to be at eye level for those advisors to be able to give it to you. Right. So 10% of the financial advisory firms are fee only or they're fiduciary to you. Just like your CPA, they have to give you the best advice. They don't sell any products. Right. That's a start. And then of course, you want to make sure they're a certified financial planner. That's like the holy grail of integrating money and planning together is the certified financial planner designation understands is that there's not one decision you make in one area that doesn't affect another. Mm-hmm. So you want to start saving for retirement. Well, that affects your taxes. It affects your budget. It affects your cash flow. And yet you may need some protection planning on insurance. So you buy a house and you, you, know, you need homeowner's insurance. So all of the, and that affects your cash flow and it affects your estate planning. So there's all these things that come into play. So in my first book, Money Secrets, Keys to Smart Investing, basically pulls back the curtain on the billion-dollar financial ser- billions of dollars financial cool. service industry to reveal why smart people make bad investment mistakes. And each chapter talks about questions you should be asking your advisor or they should be asking you. Oh, and it. so it's really, it's really your armor for when you interview financial advisory firms with that list so that you know you're not going to get bamboozled. And it's a quick read. It's a great, easy book to read. It's really accessible and it's 
the place to start, if you're interested, is read Money Secrets, and then you'll have the tool to go and interview three people. And generally, it's not their knowledge that you're looking for. Knowledge should be baseline. It's really the rapport. Mm. Do you feel like you could be honest with them? They're going to know a lot about you. Right. That vulnerability is significant. So you want to make sure that the firm that you end up working with is that it's, you hope it's a lifetime engagement as best as it can be for what you have at that time and what mm-hmm. you're capable mm-hmm. of, because you don't want to have to do it again and again and again. Right. Wow. Okay. We're going to make sure that the link to your book gets put into the um, the show notes because having a tool like that, that can at least help you start the conversation. Because once you start the conversation, like you're over the first hurdle, you're like, oh, okay. And you're taking, you know, I always counsel people take the tiniest possible step that you can take in the direction that you want to go. Like it doesn't need to be a big leap or big, you know, like go out and invest $10,000 or $20,000 or whatever, like start with buying the book. <laughs> right? Like just educate yourself on that. And so I love that you've kind of packaged that together in a way that gets people comfortable with being able to have those conversations as a starting point. That's amazing. Thank you. Knowledge is power. And once you have that knowledge to be able to ask those questions, then you feel completely confident about moving forward. So talk to me a little bit more about your retirement secrets. (laughs) Ah, that book, we just released it last year and it is a beautiful book. As a matter of fact, I had three different clients in a matter of two months that were nearing retirement asked me if I had any suggestions on a book to help them navigate retirement. Mm-hmm. Not in the money side, but just that transition of life. And I had to think about it. And I actually didn't have a book in mind. I researched it and ordered many, many, many books and read them, all of them. And honestly, there was only one or two, but one book that stood out that was relatively good, but it was written terribly. It was terribly written. And so I, I went out to write that book. And so that's how Retirement Secrets unfolded is three different clients asking me in a period of a short amount of time what that is. And so this book really is about lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Like you could have all the money in the world, hypothetically, but have a failed retirement. How do people successfully enter into retirement, whether they have money or not, and be successful around it? So it talks about purpose and passion, you know, which, you know, how do you find that? How do you answer those questions for yourself? It talks about community and having people around you. It talks about how to find, like, if you relocate, what's the checklist on how to evaluate a neighborhood or a community to see if that community is appropriate for retirement. Mm. So it has lots of nuggets inside of it that are really helpful and checklists and questions to ask your spouse, you know, enter this transition because your spouse may be retiring and you're still working. Right. Right. And how do you get on the same page? Or your spouse may want to move to a different area and because they have no friends and they just worked, you know, they want to get out of Dodge. And you're like, my whole community is here. I don't want to leave. So how do you bridge those conversations? And this book actually helps a couples navigate a disconnect in retirement as well. It's really, it's actually my most favorite book because it also has a lot of client stories Mm. inside of it that you can actually relate to yourself in those stories. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, I... You know, we work our entire lives and, you know, like we're saving for retirement and then like retirement becomes like the end goal. And then you get there and there's very like until like I was thinking about your book and I was like, wow, like we don't talk about that. What happens after piece, right? Right. You hit the finish line and then what? <laughs> and then you have another 30, 30 years. <laughs> To figure out what to do. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And even like, you know, I think about people and I know a couple of them who have retired, you know, in their late fifties, you know, early sixties and 
who are, you know, smart, ambitious, like vibrant people. And they're like, okay, it's going to be like the next career for me. Like now they're going to go do something that they love. Right. And just like having, you know, like tools and stuff like that, like, you know, talking about passion and purpose and, you know, your impact triangle and all of that kind of stuff. Right. Like, it's like, okay, let me figure out how to put this on, you know, with my retirement income, put this on autopilot. So I can now go focus on this thing that I've always wanted to do. And now I have the time and space to do. Well, and honestly, the number one new job when you transition, and actually, it actually takes a few years when you transition from a paycheck to Mm -hmm. no longer having a paycheck, from from saving to living in retirement. You know, you spend a lifetime of savings and then all of a sudden you're living in it. And how do you navigate that? And, And it does honestly take a few years in that transition. But we always say that the number one new job in retirement is exercise. And so you showed up for your job every day, however you did it show up for exercise every day in that same way. Mm-hmm. And so there's data around that, that, you know, movement is life. And if you yeah. don't have movement, you have your brain, but if you can't move, yeah. all of a sudden, a lot of your opportunities are taken off the table. So there's a whole chapter on health and how to navigate that and what to do. But the number one thing is create time for yoga, movement, and different yeah. types of things. Strength training. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the blue zones, those areas of the world where people routinely live to be over a hundred. Have you heard about those? Not in the terminology of the blue zone. Yeah. So like, you know, I think there's Costa Rica, Japan, I forget it was a place in Italy as well. Anyway, I think there's six or seven of them. And they did this, this um, research study on why do people live so long within these? And it came down to three things. One was about having purpose. Like, so getting, having something that you enjoy getting up to do every day, movement, exercise, right? Like you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And the other one was community, right? So that these people felt like they were part of something. And it it always struck me when I heard that, that it's like in North America, we do it completely opposite. It's like we retire. Okay. We're sitting around doing nothing. You know, we don't get up and move as much as we used to because we're not doing anything. And then we take our old folks and we stick them in a retirement home away from everybody else. (laughs) Right. And I was like, wow, it's, it's interesting. So having the planning to get you to retirement and put that on pause so that you can focus on those other things like building community and having purpose and, you know, exercising and things like that. Like, I think it's, it's so powerful. Again, it's the Holy grail of our firm, you know, yeah. is to be able to integrate those, to have that money book that pulls back the curtain and tells the secret to the world of how to navigate that industry and then to tie it. Okay. Here's the finish line. But now what to have this other book, Retirement Secrets, that answers that question yeah. and helps from helping those clients navigate through that. Yeah, that's amazing. So I'm going to make sure for sure that those two books are in the, <laughs> in the show notes. In fact, I'm going to go read them both myself. Um, <laughs> and what was I going to say? I just totally forgot what I was going to say. I'm going to make sure they're both in the show notes, but where can people find you or more advice from you? Like, do you have a YouTube channel? Are you on the social media I think you have a yes. Facebook page, I believe. This is where I saw yes. Yeah. So wealthlegacyinstitute.com is the website. Uh, Kim Curtis Legacy is Twitter. We also have an Instagram page, but the Instagram, which the one I really like, is called Happiness Doesn't Retire. Oh, I love that. And we have stickers and flags and people go to these great places and have the sticker and they take a picture of themselves or the sticker with whatever that is. And it express, and it shows how they express joy, how they express their happiness. It could be a sticker in nature that they're taking a hike. They could be hanging out with their grandchildren and they take a picture because that's their joy. So happiness doesn't retire 
is the Instagram. And we're really trying to create a movement around that. I love that. I love that so much. Okay. I'm definitely going to go check that out. Well, thank you so much for all of this valuable information and for sharing your story with us. I think there's a ton of learning here for our listeners. And, you know, if you are listening to this and you are, you know, in that place where you're like, can I do this? Can I, you know, pursue my passion? Can I go find my next chapter? And money is on your mind definitely check out Kim Curtis, get the books, because I think this is going to be a huge thing in kind of creating peace of mind so that you can go and make the impact that you want. So thank you. Thank you, Kim. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jennifer. All right. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.